Good morning. We'd like to welcome you all here this morning as we come together to worship. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God, as we open our hearts to receive all that he has to teach us and say to us today.
God, you are great. In your greatness, you have come down to us, redeemed us, and we've come to worship you today. Be glorified in our worship, and we ask this through Christ. Amen. Greet one another in the name of Christ this morning.
Just a couple of things I want to mention um, in the bulletin, the life of our church. There's an insert new bulletin about small groups that uh, begin tonight. And this fall, we are, as we've done the last couple of years, we're, we're all thinking about the, uh, the same ideas that come out of the Sunday morning worship. And this year, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And so the groups will be, uh, all the groups will be focusing on that. But each group will be a little bit different. Uh, some have uh, books that they're using or study guides. And uh, so we hope you'll be a part of a group. And uh, you see those listed there. If you have questions, you can contact uh, any of the people listed here. And their phone numbers are on there as well. And we'd love to have you involved in a group. Uh, also, um, Kids Club registration, Wednesday night ministry is this Wednesday, 6.30 to 7.30. Also, if you're still interested in helping out in the nursery, uh, they're getting ready to put that schedule together. There are some sign-up sheets in the back, and you probably want to do that today as that schedule will be put together this week. Always things for us to pray about, uh, issues related to us here as well as around the world, and uh, we continue to ask for God's grace in the lives of His people and of uh, all, all of the world, of His people that He loves. I'm going to ask the ushers to come and assist us in the giving our tithes and offerings. You'll notice that we're dismissing Children's Church a little bit later in the service now, in the song right before the sermon. Just note that. And also today, we're not having Junior Church. Please note that as well as the ushers come to assist us.
moments, we're going to pray together as we do each week. And as we pray, if you'd like to use the altar as your place of prayer, I invite you to come and to join me. When the song is, is concluded, please come and kneel as if you desire as we offer our prayers to the Lord together. Father, in this moment of silence, we offer to you the burdens, the cares, and the praise of our hearts. Lord, sometimes, often, the most appropriate thing we can do in prayer is just to admit the truth about ourselves. We are people who struggle. We fight about petty things. We grasp for stuff that in no time breaks and wilts and erodes and fades away. Sometimes we get crazy with our children, sometimes with our parents, our siblings, 
a roommate with each other. We're controlled by habits that we know are wrong and we keep doing things that are tearing us apart. We want to put on a good front. We want to wear masks that make us look better than we really are. And even after we repent, we find it so difficult not to keep falling back into the old patterns once again. With your servant David, we cry, Lord, forgive us. And we rest in the promise of your forgiveness and your pardon. Father, this morning we pray for all who are ill and struggling with things related to the body, the mind, the spirit, and we ask for your healing. We pray for everyone who's grieving today and ask for your comfort. We pray for relationships that are not where we know they ought to be and our hesitancy to do anything about it. And we ask for your forgiveness and for courage to work toward restoration. We pray for the circumstances of this world that grieve us. Egypt, Syria, Nigeria, other places of the world. And we pray for peace. We pray for your church to know your presence. Father, we pray for your grace in our lives today. We pray that you will fill us with a passion and a desire to know you and to let you make us and remake us into the image of Christ. It's in his name that we offer our prayers today as we always do. Remembering the prayer he taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. This is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17, and Jesus is speaking. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, 
as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. At this time, the children may be dismissed for Children's Church. Just another song, more than one more melody. Maybe one we need is silence. Maybe what we need is to be still. Listen for the still small voice, cause we don't want to miss a Jesus, now we lean in closer. Oh, yeah. 
It'll be a long time before I forget this conversation. Sitting around their kitchen table with the family that I just met, talking and planning a funeral of a man that I had never met. When we lived in Wisconsin, it was not uncommon for one of the funeral directors to call me when a family came to him and they didn't have any church connection and they needed a minister to officiate at a funeral. And I would often try to do that because it was a moment to connect with the family, to share Christ with the family that I probably would have no other means of connecting with them outside of that experience. And what makes this conversation so memorable, because I had lots of these conversations with families sitting around the table, is that one of the first things the daughter said to me was, we don't want you to say anything good about our father. Well, as you can imagine, red flags are going up all over the place for me. And um, I said, oh, well, tell me about that. And so she began to talk about how mean her father was and how he treated their mother and treated them and, and, and how he had uh, run away from them and, and left them. And this whole story unfolded of their anger and their bitterness toward this man who had treated them so poorly. What was so, it was an interesting funeral to uh, sort of walk the tightrope of that demand and yet try to help them come to some healing in the process. What's so interesting and what makes that conversation so memorable is that I've never had a conversation, I've never had one before that, I've never had one since like that. Every other time that I get together with the family to plan a funeral, they want to tell me as many good things about the person who's died as possible. Every other moment when, every one of these times, I probably have done 30 or 40 funerals for people that I didn't know. And every time as I sat with the family and we talked about this person, this loved one who had died, they were searching their minds for everything good they could remember about this person's life. 
They wanted me to know what a good person they were and how much good they had done and how much good influence they had had on others and on the world. And, and we all know that experience. If you've ever been in a setting where you've talked about someone who died, who's died, you, you try in that moment to think about all the good things. And I wonder if that's not because when we get to the end of our days, we want people to think of the good things about us. When we all come to the end of our life... We hope that what people are going to remember are good things. And when people, if they do, stand up at our funeral service and talk about us, that they talk about good things. And when we take our last breath, that the memory we've implanted in people is positive. And ultimately, we want God to say good things about us. We want in some form or another to hear God say when we meet him face to face, well done, good and faithful servant. Because the alternative is not so great. But here's the thing. If you want to get to the end of our days, of your days, and have people say good things and to see our lives as positive, you don't think about that at the moment Right before you die. You start thinking and planning about that now. If you want to get to that moment where when people are standing around your casket and you want to you want them to say positive things and good things, now is the time to start thinking about why they might do that. Not in those last moments. And if we want to come face to face with our creator and have him welcome us, now is the time to start planning for that. And I think one way or another, all of the scripture is about helping us plan and prepare for that moment. And the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatian church is no different. Acts 16 gives us just a passing reference to Paul going to Galatia and establishing the church there. We get glimpses in other places of the New Testament about Paul being in ministry in Galatia and and establishing the church. And we do know that Paul is there, he establishes the church, and when he leaves, another group of Christians comes into the church... And they begin to tell these new Christians, these Gentile Christians, that if you want to be fully Christian, if you really want to be fully uh, in, in the, all that God wants for you, then you have to be Jew, a Jew first. You have to embrace all the Jewish laws and rituals, all the things that it means to be a Jew. You have to embrace all of that or you will be a second class Christian. And that's contrary to what Paul had told them initially. And this creates a fracture in the church and a dissension in the church. And Paul writes the letter of Galatians in order to address this issue. And that's why a lot of it is about his own life and his own walk, his own biography. And when he comes to chapter 5, he's talking to them about freedom. And he says, we are free from the law. We are free from those things. Are they helpful to us? Yes, they can be helpful in our lives. But we are not slaves to them. We are free. And contrary to what these people are telling you, to be in bondage is not to ignore the law. The sins, he said, when he gets to verse 19 of chapter 5, he says, the acts of the sinful nature are what you would expect. 
sexual immorality, idolatry, witchcraft, and some things that you might not expect. Fits of rage, jealousy, selfish ambition, factions, dissension, envy. That's the stuff that is of the sinful nature. This, this fracture that you have caused in the church, that's not of Christ. That's of the evil one. And you can almost hear the people of Galatians asking rhetorically, saying to him, all right, if that's what we're not supposed to do, what are we supposed to do? If that's not what we're supposed to look like, what are we supposed to look like? And Paul says to them, that those are the acts of the sinful nature Here is what you should be doing. The fruit of the Spirit is not dissension. It's not envy. It's not jealousy. It's not the law. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he adds, and against such things there is no law. If you want to know what it's like to be completely filled with the Spirit, to be the full Christian God intended you to be, then you need to be thinking about this fruit. Now, it's interesting to me as you think about this fruit that it, in many ways, is unexpected what he says. I would, because, I mean, there are lots of people in the world who value all of these nine characteristics that Paul describes here. I mean, a good part of the world says love is a good thing and we ought to be loving. And a good part of the world says we ought to be patient and we ought to be gentle and we ought to be kind and good. Most of the world would say those are good things. They are not uniquely Christian. And that makes me scratch my head because if they are the fruit of the Spirit, if this is the evidence of the Spirit in our lives, I don't get that. I think there's, I think one of the things that Paul is trying to help us understand here is that the, we would think, when we think the fruit of the Spirit is something unexpected, something uniquely Christian, I'm thinking to myself, the fruit of the Spirit is worship. The fruit of the Spirit is biblical knowledge. The fruit of the Spirit maybe is prophecy or speaking in tongues or doing miracles. But Paul says, no, it's, It's all about relationships. It's all about how we interact with each other and how we treat each other. It's really about being human. Dennis Kinlaw says that the more holy we become, the more human we become. Now, I've had to ponder that for a while. But what he means is that The more holy we become, the more like Christ we become, the more we become like we were created to be. God didn't create us as human beings, as separate from spirit. We are one. And to be fully human is to go back to how we were created as Adam and Eve. It's, It's embracing all that it means to be the creatures of God that he loves and he made. And we tend to think being human is sinful nature because we wrestle with that all the time. But we're not being less human, we're being more human. 
And we are taking these ideas, we're taking these characteristics to a deeper level, to a holier level. And what we will find as we go through these characteristics over the next few weeks is that they are helping us understand what it means to be like Christ. We're going to take them to a level that the rest of the world may find difficult to understand. Because it's one thing to be gentle, it's something else entirely to be gentle like Jesus. It's one thing to be loving, it's a whole other thing to be loving like Jesus. And as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we embrace these characteristics in a different way than the citizens of the culture in the world. Now, these characteristics come out of us because of the Spirit in us. Jesus says in Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says that um, fruit comes out of a tree that is like the fruit that you see. So if you, a tree that bears, a bad tree is going to bear bad fruit and a good tree is going to bear good fruit. And there's no way around that. Sometimes we think, well, you know, we can... We can be a good person and be not a good person inside, not have the spirit inside of us. And Jesus says, it's impossible. What is in you is going to come out of you. And the fruit that we see is what's inside of you. I remember not too long ago, a minister telling me that he was on a, an ordination board one time and a, and a guy came to interview and he, he made these claims about being filled with the spirit. And by that, he meant that he was a part of the sort of the charismatic wing of this particular church. And uh, he would often talk about being spirit-filled. But he was really not a very pleasant person. He was not nice to people. He was rude. He was unkind and, and all of this. And, and the, the board of, of ministry in this denomination turned him down. And he complained to this minister friend of mine and said, well, they turned me down because I'm spirit-filled. And the guy said, no, it's not. It's because you're not a nice person. It has nothing to do with that. And actually the truth is, there's no way you can be spirit-filled and act like that. You can talk about being spirit-filled, but something is not right when the fruit that comes out of us doesn't look like the Spirit. And what we're going to find as we go through this is that it's the Spirit in us that produces this fruit and the spirit starts it and the spirit grows it but you and I also have a responsibility we have a responsibility about growing fruit in a couple of ways and I I used to think for a long time I thought why would I talk about the fruit of the spirit and I've never preached about the fruit of the spirit before because I had this mindset that you just have the spirit and the fruit just naturally comes out of you and If you got the spirit, the fruit's going to come. And then I began to realize that there is a part that we have to play in this. There is a nurturing that we have to do to create an atmosphere for the fruit to grow. And I think there are two ways in which we do that. One is to to nurture and prepare the soil of our hearts for the fruit to grow in. And it takes me back to the parable Jesus tells about the sower and 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 the soil. And scattering the seed. And he says to... Sower went out and he's scattering the seed around and it falls on, some of it falls on the path that's hard and packed down and it just sits there and does nothing. And some of it falls on the rocky soil and it grows a little bit but 
it doesn't get a root system and so it dies. And some of it falls in the, in the weeds and the thorn bushes and, and it, it grows a while but then it gets choked out and it too dies. But some of it gets under the good soil and it gets into that soil and it produces this phenomenal crop. And the variable in that parable is not the sower and it's not the seed, it's the soil. That's the only difference. And our responsibility in developing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is nurturing the soil of our hearts. What do we want our hearts to be? What are we doing in our lives to to create an atmosphere in which the fruit of the Spirit naturally grows? Are we like the thorns or the rocky soil that chokes it out or are we that good soil has the right pH, has the right nutrients in it. We create this atmosphere in our lives in which fruit will easily grow. And there are a lot of ways in which we do that. Part of it is just a passion, a want to for it. But we also then, the second thing is that we go back to John 15 where we remain in the vine. We connect ourselves with Jesus. He says, the only way fruit's going to grow is if you stay connected to me. If you cut yourself off from me, you might have fruit for a little while, but it's going to wither and die. We have to remain in the vine. We have to stay connected to Christ. And creating good soil, staying connected to Christ, doesn't happen by accident. It's a choice we make. It's a choice about how we live our lives. It's about the passion of our hearts. That we want Christ more than we want anything else. That we want to know Christ. That we surrender our hearts and our lives to Christ. That day by day we are making decisions that lead us toward Christ rather than away from Christ. It's that passion deep in our hearts that we want what Christ wants. We want to be who Christ wants us to be. And a lot of that has to do with with the life of devotion that we create. Now, sometimes we talk about having devotions, and that is important. When we think of that, though, in terms of it's one more task of my day that I check off my list. I wonder if it would make a difference for us if instead of talking about having devotions, we would talk about living a devotional life. So that everything we do, every moment of our lives are washed and embraced in the spirit of Christ. That our first instinct is to pray. Our first instinct is to think about God. And that doesn't happen by accident. We have to be intentional about that. Carlo Corretto once said... We are what we pray. How do we pray? How do we connect our prayers to God? And one of the things that we're doing with this series is not just thinking about the fruit of the Spirit, but specifically thinking about praying the fruit of the Spirit. Praying for God to infuse the Spirit in us. And every week I'm going to challenge us to a, a, a time of prayer about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Do we want that? 
And ultimately, this is gonna, it's going to culminate in, in our annual three-week prayer vigil that will be focused on the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But it's not just about us individually. It's about us collectively. You know, fruit is intended to grow in community, not all by itself. If you have just a lone vine out stuck out somewhere, there may be a few grapes on it, but it's really not doing what it's intended to do. It's intended to be a part of a vineyard. And apples are intended to grow in an orchard. And all of the the fruit of the Spirit grow together. And the fruit of the Spirit will grow in us as we collectively desire it. And here's the thing that we're going to find. Every one of these, these characteristics will grow best in community. Because it's in community that we need them. You don't really need to learn to be gentle if you just spend all your life by yourself. But once you're around other people, the challenge of being gentle will confront us continually. You don't really need to learn to be kind if, all you, if you just spend time by yourself. But the minute we interact with other people, we are going to be challenged about kindness. And as the community of faith, we will nurture these characteristics only in community. They're about all of us. Because see, ultimately, this is about the church, not just you and me as individuals. And the real issue is not, will the church bear fruit? The issue is, what kind of fruit will the church bear? That's the question with which we are continually confronted. When you read the scriptures, you find God is... He's enamored with fruit. We see it all throughout the scriptures. But what intrigues me is that in the very first chapter of Genesis, God says, as he's speaking to sort of creation, you know, I'm going to create fruit-bearing trees. And at the end of the day, it was so and it was good. And you come to the 22nd chapter of Revelation the very last chapter of the Bible, and John says, I looked in the city and I saw a river running down the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life bearing fruit. The beginning at the end. Fruit. And that tells me that as we live our lives, fruit's pretty important. Bearing fruit is very important. What kind of fruit are we bearing? Of course, it's not just about us. It's about Christ in us. It's about Christ's grace giving us what we need to bear fruit. And that's why we come to this table today. We come to this table in remembrance that Jesus Christ gave his life so that we might know him and that we might live in the fullness of who he is and that we might be fruit-bearing trees, a fruit-bearing vineyard of his grace and mercy to each other 
and to this world. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your design and your desire for us is to bear fruit. We thank you that Christ came and died for us that we might know life through his resurrection. We pray, Father, that you would pour out your blessing upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. We pray that it will be food to our souls and our minds, our hearts, every part of our being. Father, we remember the night that Jesus was betrayed and how he took bread and gave thanks to you and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. And on the same night took the cup and again gave thanks to the Father in heaven, gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. But this is my blood, which is shed for you for the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Father, as we come to the table this morning, unite our hearts in a passion for Christ and a passion for bearing the fruit of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. We're going to receive intention. This, uh, we're going to receive communion by the mode of intention this morning. As you come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, and eat it. If you return to your seat by the outside aisle, feel free to please stay and pray at the altar rail if you'd like. It's always open. I'd like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time that you've ever worshipped here, but if you come today with your heart open to God, with a desire and a passion in your heart for Christ in your life and to bear fruit, come and receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
Here's my, um, my challenge to us this week. To take five minutes every day to ask God to begin working in our hearts to create the kind of soil out of which the fruit of the Spirit can grow. Five minutes. Might be in the morning, might be in the middle of the day, might be at the end of the day. Divide it up, a minute or two here or there. But at the minimum, five minutes, asking God to help us prepare our hearts for the fruit that He wants to grow in us. And I'm convinced He will do it. Receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.